sometimes I get a little cranky. It's like, well, you know, we could, it's such an interesting mix of what the Buddhists thought 2,500 years ago and what we now know. But nonetheless, I always come away amazed at everything that's going on in this fathom-long thing that we call a body. It's astounding how much is happening every, every second of our lives. It was a little scary this morning about the 700 million breaths because at 10 million a year, my, sh- my shelf life is done. <laughs> so I think we might want to refigure that one, you know. Might have been different then, but you know, so whenever that statistic came from it, we can up it a little bit. <laughs> At least consider the audience, right? So, but it is, it's still, uh, it's the same thing for me. Sometimes when, and I'll probably talk about this later in the week, you know, when I look out at the cosmos and the enormity of billions of galaxies and space and uh, whatever it is that's going on. But the same thing happens going in, right? It's, it's as, as vast and as much space and as much complexity. It's just of a different order. Um, so as you work your way through these parts, I really invite you to rest with that place of awe and mystery and gratitude, actually, for what's happening in the body. And that said, to remember again what I said last night, that this is a practice that's in the context of the bigger practice of mindfulness. So I know for some of you, because we've been hearing some of you talk, and we'll hear more of you today, that some of this time, sometimes it brings up your stuff, right? And it can be memories that are scary, or it can be a piece of grief, or it may be some fear that's happening around some particular part of your body. And if that's the case, to remember to include it in your practice, that you can rest also with that fear. You can rest with the, the anger or what, the memory or whatever, name it, and include it with the awareness of breathing and the body. And if it helps to step away from some particular piece of the body for a while, because sometimes we have to do that. It's just too scary to stay there. Feel free to do that and notice hearing or seeing or something that, that will bring some steadiness before you go back. So, are there any questions about the practice? or anything I said last night. Um, the floor is open for a few minutes. You are an unquestioning group. Please. About hindrances, uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
You mean the ones? I think you're overthinking it. So she's, she's asking about how do you sort out what your hindrances are. I would stay in the present moment. So in the moment that you are afflicted with sloth and torpor, that hindrance is there. In the moment that a wave of anger or a wave of grief goes through or a wave of desire, those hindrances are there. A moment of doubt, same thing. So to to get really good at finding it in the present moment. That said, one of the things that's kind of fun in Buddhist psychology, and I didn't go there last night, although I could have and thought about it, is that in Buddhist psychology we are you are one of three types. We are you are a greed person, or you are an aversive person, or you are a deluded person. And the way you tell your little diagnostic test here is if you go into a room, like you walk into this hall, and you look around and you go, oh my goodness, look at those tankas. I want one for my living room. I'm going to go straight down to the bookstore and see if they have one. You are a greed person, you know, because that's where you first go. And if you walk into this room and you go, ah, what were they thinking? You know, they should have done this and all that stuff up high, that's a waste of money and energy on the floor. It would be so much better if it were carpeted. Then you're probably an aversive person. And if you walk into this room and you sit an entire retreat and someone says, so what did you think about the meditation hall at Spirit Rock? And you go, oh, what, huh? You know, I, I didn't really notice anything. You're probably a deluded person. Now, it's not, you know, because we all of us, like I, for years, I thought I was a desire person. And every time I would say that to Jack Cornfield, he'd kind of roll his eyes. And I thought, I think he thinks I'm not a desire person. And after a long, long time, I finally had to admit that I was an aversive person because that's the first place I go to is I'll get a little cranky about anything that's new and different. And, but I have lots of desire, and I can certainly be really, really deluded. But that, so that can be helpful sometimes in sort of sussing out what your hindrance is likely to be. But I want to go back to what I said at the beginning, and for the purposes of this retreat, stay with what's happening right now. Okay. Yeah, hindrances are great. Please, in the back. You, yeah. You're the only hand. Yeah. Right. So his his question is about saying this is is this kind of an imaginative process with the things that we can't feel. And I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, like Bob was saying, I guess Mark, did you do your fingernail thing? 
So, you know, you can feel your fingernails. And, and it's, it's interesting to sort of ponder. I, I was sort of taken by the connection to hooves when Bob read his little thing like, oh, huh, I hadn't really thought about that with my fingers and toes, but maybe. And, and of course, the heart probably we can feel and the lungs we do. And the diaphragm, you have a sense of it going up and down. The spleen is kind of mysterious. I mean, most of us don't, run around thinking about our spleens too much unless something's wrong with that. Um, so, and likewise the liver. So in the plate, once we don't feel, yeah, sort of imagine into it. And I think that's where the list of what it does is helpful. You know, to ponder that, like I said, your liver's busy sorting out your breakfast. Amazing, huh? Really. And, and then at lunchtime, it'll do it all over again. And it sounds so incredibly complex, what it's doing. So you can use the imagination there. But really, the idea is that it's, it's, it's becoming aware that this, this process that we call a body is complex. It does many, many, many things. It's all gathered together temporarily for a spell of time, and it calls itself you, and then at some point it disbands. So it's, it's a marvelous kind of thing and worth reflecting on. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, okay, please. So her comment is that it's really helpful to, to be aware of the location in the body and it helps to feel it. There was another question in the back, and this will be the last one, please. Uh, I've been struggling with um, guilt and Yeah, so her question is about guilt and the way that she's treated her body and, and some concern for how um, it may have affected her organs. There's a lot of forgiveness involved, isn't there? You know, and so I think the, you know, to when we know that we've done things that have been harmful to the body, it's, it, metta is in itself, the practice of loving-kindness, a bit of a forgiveness practice. And we can focus on that. And, um, you know, the, the, the guilt, of course, the other side of the guilt, the way it's going to be a teacher for you, is to point you towards doing things that are helpful and healing. And um, you're here, so my guess is, that's already happening, that there's a way that you're moving towards healing the body and addressing your concerns for the organs. And, and then that place of holding ourselves with kindness. I said to somebody um, yesterday, so we haven't done a lot. You, you've been doing a little metta practice late at night. 
So, you know, metta is this practice where we send loving kindness to ourselves. You could do worse things than to spend many months, six months or a year, doing nothing but loving kindness for yourself. May I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I be healed. So, because it trains the mind to go towards ourselves, towards our bodies with kindness. So that's part of the training for you now, is to turn that. And as you turn, and then to hold with compassion whatever delusion it was for you or for any one of us to do things which harm the body. Does that help? Yeah. Okay, maybe that's a good place to stop, to really remember to hold ourselves and our bodies with kindness and with forgiveness for the things that we have not done. Um, There's a couple of announcements which I had in my pocket. Here they are. So just to remind you, there's another round of groups today. By now, everyone should have been on the list. And if you look at the list today and you at least don't remember, somebody, it's possible that some of you didn't realize you should look at the list yesterday. But look at the list today. And if you haven't been to a group either day, um, let the manager know. And uh, Ramon or Anna will help you figure out which group to go to today so that you get one. Um, so groups are going on, Bob and I in the morning, Christiane again in the afternoon. Um, I had a question last night about grief and what happens if the retreat is just filled with grief. And if that happens for any of you, just to know that... Um, Take it, be a little gentle with yourself. You know, a a so-called grief retreat, I mean, it's what we call it sometimes, is just a time when you're not pushing quite so hard, maybe spending a little more time out in nature and letting the grief work, begin to work its way through, uh, which it will over time. Um, And then I also just want to mention to... You're going to be doing Qigong in just a few minutes, but please remember to uh, include the walking as part of your practice. Walking is a wonderful way to balance your energy. It's a practice that um, carries over very well into your everyday life. So, you know, when we get to that walking period at 11.30, to make sure you know, not to use it as a time to go take a nap or drink tea or whatever, but to really do the practice and again in the afternoon during the walking periods. All right. Have a lovely day and enjoy your practice.